0: Good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly live program. I appreciate you listening to us tonight. We're coming to you by the the graces of EWTN and uh, this program is sponsored by the Coming Home Network International. I'm the president, founder of that organization. We have a website especially for this program, deepinscripture.com. The reason I mention that right away is that if you go to that website, if you happen to be with your computer, you can see who our guest is this week and what our text will be. Our guest for tonight is Kevin Lentz. Kevin is a, um, he's an electrician by trade. Elec- excuse me. Elec- no, he's hired. He- I didn't quite. Made, you correct me, uh, Kevin, when you come on. You work with the Navy, but you're not just an electrician. I think you're an elect- electrical supervisor. We'll get you back on. You straighten me out a little bit. The reason I mention that is that the guests that I have on the program come from a great variety of backgrounds. Some are scholars and academics. Some are professors. Some are theologians. Some are like me, just love Jesus, love the church, and love Scripture, love studying Scripture, especially being deep in Scripture, which the phrase is to read Scripture within the church, within the, the tradition of the church, because that's the, the arms with which we've received, from which we've received the Scripture through the Holy Spirit, through the church. And we're going to look at that Tonight, I asked Kevin, as I've been doing the guests for the last couple months, to talk about, to choose a favorite verse from St. Paul, and Kevin chose Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Now, if you've been listening to deep in Scripture, you know we've actually looked at that verse a few times over the last year. At first, I'm wondering, well, Kevin, should we grab another verse? Because very recently, we've looked at that text, but actually, I'm not hesitant at all for us to look again at Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, because that section in Ephesians is so important, especially today, when both marriage and authority in the church is under attack. In our culture, especially today, with certain uh, legislation, with certain uh, pressure groups in our culture, I don't want to name names or name groups, that are on attack against marriage, against the church, against authority, against the idea that anyone has a right to declare what's true. Relativism runs rampant on this uh, continent of ours. And this passage, particularly Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, which describes the relationship of husband and wife within marriage, in relationship also, though, to the relationship between Christ and his church, this is a passage which many people run away from. Many uh, denigrate. Many say is a passage that where Paul blew it. That really doesn't apply to marriage as God intended, but was merely Paul's either Paul's opinion or he was um, blinded by his chauvinistic ideas in his own battle in his own time but that's far from the way the church understands and recognizes the beauty and the importance of this passage. Now again, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to give us a call. Our phone number is 800-664-5110. And outside North America or uh, anytime, you can call us at 740-450-1175 or you can send me an email at marcus at Now Kevin is a a, what he calls a revert to the Catholic faith. He was baptized in the faith, but he was not raised in the faith. In fact, as he says in his bio, he spent most of his adult years uh, in a secular relativistic mindset. I mean, he knows what I mentioned about relativism because that's where he was. But then by the grace of God, he came back to faith and came back to the church. And uh, he reconciled to the church back in the 1990s after what he calls a series of very supernatural events. And I've had Kevin on my program, Journey Home program. He was a guest in January of 2006, and his story will soon be published in a book edited by Donna Steichen, published by Ignatius Press, called Chosen. He's also a writer, and he's a catechist for the faith. And much of what he will discuss tonight will come from his work as a catechist, and leading adult faith study groups at his local parish in Jasper, Indiana. And uh, just to round out his biography, he's been married to his wife, Sheila, for 22 years. They've got five children, uh, all homeschooled. And as I mentioned, they attend uh, parishes in the Diocese of Evansville, Indiana. Now, let me read that passage. Uh, Ephesians 5:21 through 33, you can see it on, the website, deepinscripture.com, in case you can't get a Bible in front of you. You've, if you Again, as I said, if you've heard Deep in Scripture over the last couple of months, you've heard this read a couple of times, but hear it again. I don't think we can hear this passage too often. It's Paul writing. As I mentioned before, let me back up again a bit. I believe that the book of Ephesians is in fact a a sermon that St. Paul wrote when he was in chains in prison, a sermon that he dictated that was written down and sent to the church at Ephesus to be read from the pulpit to the newly baptized Gentile believers. And chapters 1 through 3 basically describe what happens when we are baptized, the change we go through. And what's significant about tonight's passage is that through baptism, we become members of the body of Christ. We become sons of God, brothers and sisters. Members of the body of Christ. We, that happens through baptism, through the graces of baptism. as Paul says in Ephesians 1:13, we heard, we believed and were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's referring to baptism, I believe. Then chapters four through six, Paul goes on to describe, okay, now that you are a member of the body of Christ, this is how you must live together. Baptism makes us members of the body of Christ. But it doesn't immediately wipe away all of our sins, our bad habits, our bad attitudes. We have to change by grace. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 are about that. This section, chapter 5, verse 21 through 33, deals with, uh, first he dealt with the church in general, and then he starts looking in smaller groups within the church, and here he deals with the family. So let me begin reading at verse 21. Paul writes, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior, its Savior. As the church is subjected to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is a profound one, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio. Next time on Life on the Rock, how does one get the strength needed to spread and defend the faith as a true witness of Christ? Find out when Tom Sullivan joins Doug and Father Mark to discuss the call to knighthood, the sacrament of confirmation. That's on the next Life on the Rock, only on EWTN.
1: Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Again, let me give you the phone numbers in case you'd like to give us a call, 800-664-5110 and outside North America or you can call us during the day at 740-450-1175 or you can send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. One of my staff members wrote me a note during the break. I'm glad he did because it looks like I said something earlier in the In the introduction didn't come out the way I meant it. I just want to make sure that, uh, as he says, he wants to keep me orthodox. I made the comment that after baptism, chapters 4, 5, and 6, explain how we are to live out our life in baptism. I made the comment that baptism doesn't wipe away sin. What I meant was our tendency Hmm. to continue Mm -hmm. sinning. It's not an automatic magic. All of a sudden now we are perfect and we'll never sin again because we are baptized or even that now that we're baptized and we're guaranteed of heaven. No, the minute we come out of the water, we still have a tendency, the concupiscence. We can fail before an hour goes by. We can have a bad thought. And so four through five and six are all about that. How must we now live after we have become a member of the body of Christ? Hello, Kevin, are you there? Yes, Marcus, good evening to you. Well, Kevin Lentz, thank you for joining. Now, first thing I'm going to ask you is straighten out I think after I asked you and then I completely misrepresented <laughs> you on what you're doing now.
2: Yes, I. Um, then my job title is electronic technician for the uh, Navy. Uh-huh. Uh, I work at a Navy based in southwest Indiana All right. and for sh- ship self-defense.
0: All right, well, I just wanted to make sure I got it right. and, sure. and uh, Because I really appreciate you coming on the program. And uh, you, as uh, a... As I mentioned earlier in your bio, you do catechetical work mm-hmm. now and I lead adult faith group at mm-hmm. St. Joseph Paris. I'm wondering if it's in a lot of that work that this passage has become really important to you.
2: Oh, my goodness. you could, That's an understatement. Since the time of my conversion and when I started studying the faith and trying to understand and learn the faith, all the doctrines, and what does faith consist of, what, what does, what's divine revelation, what is truth, which we'll be going into in a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the, the main thing I keep coming back to all the time, is that particular verse in 32, where he says, St. Paul says, it's a mystery, and I liken it to Christ, the bridegroom, mm-hmm. and the Church, the bride. So if anybody's out there is listening that is in our faith study group, they're all probably shaking their head (laughs) up and down like the dog in the back of the car, you know.
0: (laughs) They've heard this before.
2: Oh, yeah, all the time.
0: Because it's important. Yeah, I was thinking that before we jump in to details, there were two uh, verses that jumped out at me tonight as I was reading this. As I mentioned before, you know, I've had a chance over the last year for us to discuss this text several times and even as I was reading it um, I was remembering comments that have been made over the the months but it seemed to me as I knew the perspective that you were going to bring to this there were two verses that little phrases that seem important one of one is one of which is verse 30 a very short verse um, in which Paul says because we are members of his body. Mm Mm-hmm and it's a very short verse but yet a key verse because it identifies what he is presuming about his listeners about himself about you about me because of our baptism and faith in christ Mm -hmm. and and that's very important to did not skip over what is that and, and i want to talk about what it means in verse 30 what that means and then the second one is the one you just mentioned, but particularly the first phrase, is that this mystery is a profound one. Uh-huh. It isn't simple, um, and those that want to simply either discount what he's saying in this passage, or think they can just simply understand this mystery of our unity with Christ as members of his of his body, the Church, uh, are really belittling the the importance of this mystery. And let me throw that back to you then, uh, maybe before we jump in the details, look at verse 30 just for a second. Talk to the audience a bit about what it means to you, especially as your conversion as a catechist, that we are members of his body.
2: Well, Marcus, uh, uh, for me, when I see that, it would immediately comes to mind is that from my own standpoint and those of my family, we're members of the body of Christ. But... The thing that we are not is we are not part of the head of the body of Christ. <laughs> and and again, like you said, my take is going to be going the direction of authority, yeah. and the authority of the Church. Um, sure, like last week, and you had Noah Led on, you mm-hmm. talked about Paul's conversion and what happened in Acts 9-4, and Jesus saying to him, Paul, should I say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? me you know jesus had ascended i think at at least at that point i'm pretty sure he had but sure we are here on on earth and since we are part of the body of christ that does not make us the head of the body though and is in determining what uh, on these issues of faith and morals what those things mean we need to have that authority and i certainly needed to have it I can I recognize that when I was going through my whole conversion process, recognize the four by fours I was getting up against my head. <laughs> you know, the whole time I was in this relativistic and secularist mindset, thinking that truth was relative and all of that. And oh boy, Marcus, when I finally found it, when I found out of that authority that I was looking for, I was just like, yes, <laughs> but this is good. I need this. So. That's kind of what comes to my
0: mind. Well, it makes sense. Uh, you know, a very absurd analogy. If we go to 1 Corinthians 12, where St. Paul uses the analogy of the body and describes mm-hmm. the different parts of the body and have different places in the body, and, you know, a uh, you know, hand doesn't say something to the foot, you know, it, and it, something's going to seem so obvious, but our, our human bodies would be a mess if our hand, if it could, tried to decide what was best for the body, mm-hmm. or if a foot did, or any other of parts of our body, our belly. You know, of course, some of us are driven. It's interesting. Some of us are driven by our belly, and Jesus makes that comment about people who listen more to their bellies than to their will. <laughs> um, and if you look at some of us in America, you can see that that's true. But that, And that's a, a very visible example of what happens when a person's stomach drives their life. It gets out of control. Or uh, other parts of our emotions, our drives, as opposed to our head, our will, our intellect, should be guided by the soul so that we make the right decisions in our body. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's the body of Christ. And so it makes so much sense, but yet most people don't see that when you look at Christendom, you look at Christianity across this country, that there are little churches everywhere that think they know what is best for the body, but they're running in completely contradictory and radically different directions, causing this mess that we see around our country. What about the, also that other verse, the mystery? So you, you really point out a good point in verse 30 about the uh, really it's, we're not members of his head, we're members mm-hmm. of his body. But we are members of it. We are not a, a part of it by baptism. We are, we are really a part of this body, and he says in verse 32 that this mystery is a profound one. you want to say something about that before we dig in deeper in the passage?
2: Well, I kind of liken that to, you know, my goodness, the, the mystery of the Trinity, for goodness' sakes, who can even begin to explain that? You know, we, and we just had the, the St. Saint, the Saint Patrick, Patrick's Day here last week and everything, and, and the famous analogy he used with the, the three-leaf clover that's and everything. That, that's kind of what comes to mind to me, and also the, the Jesus' two natures, right? It, it's a profound mystery even within that. You know, there's been things going around here recently, even in our local area. Uh, unfortunately uh body writing things like saying that jesus was a human person well yeah. no 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 <laughs> that's heresy jesus was a divine person with two natures divine and human so to me that's all wrapped up in those other two aspects of it yes
0: and you know thank the lord that he has given us the wisdom Of the church. He promised that in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Those of you who haven't seen that, look at that. Jesus in those passages is not primarily talking just to Christians in general, he's talking to his apostles and promising them the Holy Spirit and guide them into truth. And so when we're stuck with these very deep mysteries like the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, or the Eucharist, it's it's beyond our ability, our sensual ability to understand. We must trust that this is a profound mystery. These are profound mysteries. We must trust the church. And so he uses this same analogy here, this description of mystery, profound mystery, to describe on the one hand this mysterious relationship between Christ the head and his body, the church, and the husband and his wife. All right, Kevin, that's your program. Where do you want to start with this passage?
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to start with one of the very first things that I always tell our attendees that come to our study is what Jesus says in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? We see that right away. Jesus is truth. And for me, you know, when I finally realized that, seeing that, reading that in Scripture after my uh, particular conversion, I, I said, okay, this makes sense to me. But then later on, we see in 1 Timothy 3.15, St. Paul says that the Church is the pillar and foundation of truth, which is you, you mm-hmm. probably have quoted that on your programs At a thousand least times now. <laughs> yep. and, you know, in 12, 13 years you've been doing this. So, okay, we're scratching our heads here and think, well, wait a minute, did St. Paul get this wrong? I mean, after all, he says he received the Gospel from the Lord in Galatians 1.12, so did he get it wrong? Well, no. Is it The two are one. You know, you can't separate the two. They have to be one. And so we, have to, we understand then that truth is in the Church, okay? That's kind of where, then it, that started, that's when things started clicking for me, when I, I started, okay, I need to see what truth is, what does it consist of? And if, if I may, if I could read just a few other truth verses, Mark. Sure, go ahead. Okay, good. And mm-hmm. what we see in other places, like what uh, St. Paul says in Second Timothy uh, 3, he says, For among them are those who make their way into households and capture weak women, Burdened with sins and swayed by various impulses who will listen to anybody and can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. As Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of corrupt and mind and counterfeit faith. And one from 3 John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in health. I know that it is well with your soul, for I greatly rejoice when some of the brethren arrived and testified to the truth of your life, as indeed you do follow the truth. No greater joy can I have than this, to hear that my children, that's why we call him Father, follow the truth. And I, when I see these, and I have a couple of other here, but so we, we get it. We understand that in, from Scripture... The Bible, which is one leg of divine revelation, we have to be in and of the truth, and to and to be that, we must be in the church to follow Christ.
0: Let me. I'm going to throw in a couple. One other verse. I don't want to take away from your time, but just to tag on to that, that in John 15, the familiar passage, "I am the vine; you are the branches." Mm -hmm. That whole section. He says in there, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." Yes. Well. I quoted that as a Protestant minister many, many years. But how do we know that we are connected to Jesus? Mm -hmm. Verse 4 of 15, abide in me and I in you. How do we abide in Christ? Well, in John 6, he says it's through eating his body and drinking his blood. But then he goes on. um, You know, if a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. Abiding in Christ When put together with Paul in the words of Christ, we recognize, just as you're saying, that means being in the church, Uh in his body, continually. Abiding means remaining. So there's that constant need to be faithful.
2: I I just, I think when, well you stole that from me. I was going to use that later on, but that's okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And and That's fine. I don't have a problem with that because we're probably going to cross over Many many times, <laughs> sorry. but I just I, I think that's to me is that's you know you have to be in the church, okay. She is that, not only the pillar and foundation of the truth, but also in, in Ephesians three ten, Saint Paul says this is where the manifold wisdom of God comes from, yeah. okay. Okay, in Ephesians four five, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one one one, and yet even after I was converted, I was encountering folks that were saying, Well, it doesn't matter which church you go to, just as long as you love Jesus. So I'm scratching my head thinking, Well, what do you mean? What what about that line in the Creed that says, I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church? I, and that that was very confusing for me. So there was a so I think in, in Catechetics in the last 40 years or so since the close of the Second Vatican Council, there, there's sort of, Marcus, you can help me out with this, mm-hmm. that I think there's been a disconnect, and and maybe this is part of uh, a, a little bit of uh, Protestant tradition coming in, a disconnect between the Church and Jesus. And, you know, it, It's becoming a me and Jesus and, and leaving the Church out. What would you say to that?
0: Well, I would say, again, my view is that actually that's the... The biggest heresy running rampant, at least in America, if not worldwide, but it, if anything, it's got its roots in America, and that is this independence. Of course, we see it in France also, but particularly this religious independence that's really just Jesus and me, and everything else is man made, everything else is man opinions, and even that itself is an opinion. And in reality, once you break from the church, the idea that there's an authoritative church, the entropy, the, the, the reality is that the trajectory of that will be from order to disorder. It will move always in that direction. So in the end, you know, what is the one doctrine that holds all the non-Catholic Christian traditions together? What's the one? And sadly, I wouldn't even say it's Jesus because every doctrine is viewed differently. And so we have this the body from that perspective is just just exploded.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Now, within the Catholic Church, this is my view, and I won't take too much time, but I think one of the problems in America particularly is that even from the beginning years of uh, Catholicism after the American Revolution, the last 200 years or so, that Catholics in general have struggled between being a faithful Catholic and a faithful American. And there's that constant battle and we're having it today. And often for a Catholic to be more accepted within American culture, which was in many ways anti-Catholic to its core, we've had a lot of Catholics that apologized for their faith, have watered it down, have kept it inside, uh, and don't talk about it and maybe didn't learn it very well. And so in essence, you know, many Catholics will kind of, when we came into the church, we had Catholics tell us, well, that's good. You know, but you know, it really doesn't matter what church you go to. Right. It was a Catholic that said that, and and the truth is, they in also are not following this very strong teaching of Saint Paul.
2: Well, I would agree with you, and and I think that leads to his warning that he gives in Ephesians four fourteen, where he talks about the cunning of men. Uh, we 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 need to be careful. Uh, we could be tossed around if we're not following sound doctrine, because of the the wilds and the cunning of men will come and get you and, and hook you and lead you away. Uh, uh, and I'm paraphrasing there, but yep. I think that I think what what you said, Marcus, is kind of a good lead into if if may I may indulge in, in Cardinal Ratzinger's homily <laughs> at the mass for the election of the Roman Pontiff before he was elected Pope Benedict. And uh, on April of 2005, if, if I could read just the first couple of paragraphs, would that be okay?
0: Sure. And after okay. that, we'll take a break. Okay,
2: Go good. And he said, Colonel Ratzinger said, how many winds of doctrine have we known in recent decades? How many ideological currents? How many styles of thought? The thought of many Christians has often tossed about by these waves, tossed from one extreme or into the other, from Marxism to liberalism to libertinism, from collectivism To radical individualism, from atheism to a vague religious mysticism, from agnosticism to syncretism, and so on. Every day, new sects, SECTS, are created, and what St. Paul says about the deception of men comes true, about the cunning that leads into error. To have a clear faith based on the creed of the church is often labeled today as fundamentalism, whereas relativism, that is, letting oneself be swung back and forth by any wind of doctrine or teaching, is seen as the only attitude suited to modern times. A dictatorship of relativism is growing that does not recognize anything as absolute, leaving our own ego and its whims as the only standard. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful summary.
0: Of, of what's going on around us that has affected all of our lives. Absolutely. And, and sometimes we're blinded to what ways it has affected us. Now, let's take a break. Kevin, we get back from the break. We'll jump in with both feet into this passage now that we've given a great introduction. And we'll look at, uh, I mean, how does this fight against that relativism and, and draw us to accept this wonderful authority of the church? You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody. I am joined tonight by Kevin Lentz. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your Global Catholic Radio network. What relevance does the message of Christ have for a society so far away from God? Find out when Father Robert Sirico, President of the Acton Institute, joins Raymond Arroyo to talk about the nature of freedom and Christianity's influence on democracy. That's this week
1: on The World Over Live, only on EWTN. THE WORLD OVER IS SEEN AND HEARD AROUND THE WORLD ON EWTN. FOR DATES AND TIMES IN YOUR AREA, LOG ON TO EWTN.COM.
0: Marcus Grodi and Dr. Scott Hahn invite you to join us May 16, 2009, in the Hilton East in Columbus, Ohio, as we look to understand St. Paul, who was so zealous for the Word of God that he became the apostle to the Gentiles. Joined by Father Mitch Pacqua, Jeff Cavins, and others, we will look into the life of this famous convert to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So join us as we seek to know the Catholic Paul. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host. I'm joined tonight by Kevin Lenson. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. All right, Kevin, where do you want to jump? In this passage, as we get back to it.
2: Well, again, I'm going to go stick with the authority of the church okay. and and what we as Catholics understand that truth is. And obviously that's Jesus and the church, two or one. And what does this truth consist of? Like we, we heard in that those two paragraphs from Cardinal Ratzinger, he mentions about doctrine and, and following sound doctrine. Are he alludes right? to that. And if I may give a definition of that, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to use uh, Father John Hardin's Modern Catholic Dictionary, Central K. He says, any truth, doctrine is any truth taught by the Church is necessary for acceptance by the faithful. The truth may either be formally revealed as the real presence or a theological conclusion as the canonization of a saint or part of the natural law as the sinfulness of contraception. In any case, What makes it doctrine is that the church authority teaches that it is to be believed. This teaching may be done either solemnly in ex cathedra pronouncements, or from the chair, or ordinarily in the perennial exercise of the church's magisterium or teaching authority. Dogmas are those doctrines which the church proposes for belief as formally revealed by God. So we understand, okay, now this connection that's start and come clear. What is truth? What is doctrine? What is the deposit of faith? All of that is Jesus and His Church. To, to It's like I tell our attendees in our faith study, to to follow Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus, is to be obedient to His Church. That's, that's the bottom line. Mm. And I love what it says in the Catechism, in paragraph 892, it, it, what does that divine revelation, what is the issues, does it, does it consist of? Well, this is what it says in 892 in the Catechism. Divine assistance is also given to the successors of the apostles, teaching in communion with the successor of Peter, and in a particular way to the Bishop of Rome, pastor of the whole church, when, without arriving at an infallible definition, without pronouncing it in a definitive manner... They propose in the exercise of the ordinary magisterium a teaching that leads to better understanding of revelation in matters of faith and morals. And we had some of those in uh, the definition by Father Hardin. To this ordinary teaching, the faithful are to adhere to it with the religious assent, which, though distinct from the assent of faith, is nonetheless, nonetheless an extension of it. Okay, Marcus, so we have all these together now. We understand that we have to be in follow what sound doctrine is, and that is faith and morals. And it goes right back to the authority of the Church. What it says, if I may quote St. Paul in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, "...and he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for the Church." Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I can tell you, Marcus, when I was started discovering these things, reading the catechism, reading the scriptures, reading great theologians and like Father Hardin and Scott Hahn and and listening to your program I at the time it was like spring of of 1998, and I, I got on the internet, and I listened to all the back episodes of The Journey Home. It was just great. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I've, I've led such an individualistic and relativistic lifestyle thinking that there's no absolute truth, right? I mean, at least that's what we were taught at our local high school. And, you know, not everybody is right. Not everybody is wrong, Okay. That I'm okay, you're okay, and there are no absolutes. Hmm? That's what we are given, and it, it was kind of ratcheted up a little bit at the the local junior college I went to when I took the sociology and the psychology classes. You know, definitely no absolutes. Although at the time, you know, I wasn't really well. I guess that sounds okay to me. I guess I don't know. And I so you still, that's kind of how I was living. <laughs> you know. So how does? But I still wanted to be a man of, of honor and integrity and truth. And I thought, by golly, I can do this, and I can do it on my own. I don't need to go to any church. Well, for goodness sakes, like you said earlier, <laughs> John fifteen five, without me, you can do nothing. And of course, I didn't know that at the time. But boy, something started clicking. I, think, I read in a in local newspaper the account or it was a description of what happens uh, during a partial birth abortion. And I read that, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is wrong. This has to be absolutely wrong. And then that's when it started clicking with me, one of those aha moments saying, well, wait a minute, pal, there is such a thing as an absolute truth then, right? And this is what I teach, or at least I try to, all, well, in the past, I've had high school sophomores, you know, getting preparation for confirmation and stuff. And I'm telling you, Marcus, it is still out there. They are still teaching this stuff in the, in the public schools and, and probably, sad to say, even some Catholic schools. Yeah,
0: well, we, I don't want to mention any names, but even right now there's a, right. a supposedly Catholic university that's uh, coming under fire right now because of, of taking public stands on things that are radically contrary to uh, an understanding of the Catholic faith. You know, let me, let me throw something in here in response to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to imagine myself. If I were listening to the, what you just said on this program, mm-hmm. if I were still a Presbyterian pastor, uh, when you talk about the authority of the church and the church defining doctrine and, and, and all of that. And, you know, my comment now is I look back is what you've described is the teaching of the church and our understanding of, of the authority given to the church, Christ giving that authority to his hand-chosen apostles and giving them the Holy Spirit. That's why we trust the church, and that makes sense. And my question is, if a person's listening, if you don't like that option, what else, else is there? You know, I look back as a Presbyterian who had a book of order and a book of confessions, and I believed that that was the authority. But why was that authority any different than the church across the corner, the Baptist church, that it set of doctrines in its set of beliefs that it got from scripture or the Methodist around the corner, the church of Christ assembly of God, the Pentecostal church, the holiness church, the Wesleyan church, the, uh, the, the AME church, the, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, if you don't want to believe that Christ established a church and gave it this authority, to make sure that when we want to know what is true morally or ethically, then what else is there? And in every single case, as you've been describing, and as Pope Benedict described, it eventually leads to nothing but relativistic chaos, Mm -hmm. which is what we have today.
2: Well, what comes to mind for me when I hear something like that, you could, our, our good friend Stephen Ray, Catholic evangelist Jerusalem Jones, yeah. <laughs> what, what he does, is what he said he did, it got to, he was so disgusted with the divisions that uh, he was experiencing in evangelical Protestantism that he started his own house church, okay? Mm-hmm. Basically became his own pope. I'm not sure that that's <laughs> the greatest option in the world, but something that came to mind for me is when when... When you mention that, well, what, el- what option is there? There has to be unity in Christendom. Christ prayed for unity to the Father in John 17, specifically in verses 21 through 23. Now, I can't speak for those who may be in those positions of authority, but in other in Christian traditions, but they need to ask themselves, well, who's to say these things out here, especially moral issues, is right or wrong. Um, we're getting into uh, genetic manipulation out there, scientific genetic manipulation of, of embryos and test tube babies and all these kinds of things. How in the world, Marcus, can any man or woman in authority say, well, this is right or is it, this is wrong? it's like the the saying Cardinal Ratzinger had before he became Pope Benedict. He said, truth is not determined by a majority vote. What a wonderful statement that is. It's not determined by a majority vote. So that's kind of what comes to mind for me.
0: Yeah, well, in in our country, we live in a a democratic republic. In the beginnings of our country, that was one of the battles uh, as the Founding Fathers were putting together this Constitution and our Bill of Rights, and part of the battle was this idea that could a vote-for-vote democracy, where every person has an equal vote, can that be trusted? John Adams made the comment that uh, our Constitution assumes that the people who are following it are people of morals and of religion. You take that out of the equation, and this cacophony of individualistic votes is going to be not guided by grace, but guided by sinful conscience, mm-hmm. by sin- and that's what we've got ourselves into. Recently, I saw a government report, actually, that is listing people in our culture, in America, that are known for taking stands on strict morals as intolerant terrorists. Oh, that's me, I guess. Right. You know, if I'm going to take a stand against traditional morals, traditional values, because my church that I trust says this is true, in our culture we are becoming labeled as terrorists. Well, who are we going to follow? Now, let's take a break, Kevin. We'll come back. we'll, We'll give some conclusions because you've given a wonderful background to authority, and now maybe a couple more points from this very powerful passage okay, very
2: good.
0: you're listening to deep in scripture this is Marcus Brody our host joined tonight by Kevin Lentz and you're hearing us on EWTN your global catholic radio network
1: the coming home network international is a non-profit catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International, or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 Six six four five one one zero. 664
0: 5110 Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grot. I am joined tonight by Kevin Lentz. Let me just give you the phone numbers again. We, we won't have time to take. I think we've got a couple calls. We won't be able to get them in, though, tonight, but we'll get back to you and, and answer you. If you'd like to, though, call us with a question. Do so at 740 740- Four five zero one one seven five, or send me an email, Marcus at scripture dot com. Got a question about this passage or anything we've said tonight? We'd love, probably after the program, to uh, dialogue with you. Kevin, some final thoughts on this
2: passage tonight? Well, sure, and I'm going to stick with our theme. And if I may, I'm, sure. um, I would. You mentioned how we were fundamentalists. Now, it's a wonderful, very good book out there by a father, Father Philip Brandenburg. It's titled "The New Fundamentalists." Mm-hmm. Beyond Tolerance is the subtitle. It's a, it's a very much of an eye-opener. He, he did a very good job on this book. Now, I, one of the passages that I love, uh, well, I say passage. it's a yeah. paragraph from the Catechism, and it's paragraph 85. It says, The task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, whether in its written form or of tradition, or in the form of tradition, I should, should say, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. A couple of things that we have to remember, Marcus, is is that what it says like in Jude three, and it, it says contend for the faith that was once handed down. To the holy ones, or to the to the saints, little well, s it says in some versions, and th- that's one thing that I think that a lot of Catholics don't really kind of understand. They've been told that things have changed, uh, doctrine has changed. No, doctrine does not change. It cannot change because we mentioned this passage, Ephesians 5:32. Jesus and the church are one. It says in Hebrews thirteen eight that the church is the same, yesterday, today and forever. We just can't arbitrarily start screaming for this, that or the other doctrine to either be thrown out or changed, or be modified by vote. It just cannot happen. Our understanding of this doctrine can develop, okay? And that's discussed or talked about in in the Catechism, in paragraph 94, it's, it's fairly large. I don't have to go into to it all too very deeply, but sure, truth is truth. You cannot change it. We can look at it several different ways, as the authority of the Church has been given, and Jesus says, like you said earlier, Marcus. The one I love is John 16:13. Jesus said, "I will send you the Holy Spirit, and He will lead you into all truth, faith, and morals." You know. And I, I tell you, Marcus, I, I tell the folks that attend our study, it, for me, it's just so liberating. You know, what, when the words of Jesus becomes so wonderful, what he says in John 8:31 and 32, you shall come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And gosh darn, I wish I could yell it at everybody. <laughs> I've been set free.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I want to tuck in one more passage because... This is how, as Catholics, we understand what Jesus was saying in Matthew 16, Mm -hmm. you know, when he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, it wasn't just Peter's private interpretation. Mm -hmm. It was the Holy Spirit's guidance, the, the, the revelation of the Father. That is exactly why we believe that we can trust the church. It's the same revelation. Then he goes on, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. As you said, doctrine doesn't change when we believe that the Holy Spirit has guided the church. Mm -hmm. If it did change, then that verse wouldn't be true. Right.
2: Right. I just think, and and to me, of course, this is another topic for another show, but of course what you said there in Matthew 16, you know. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon Barjona, but my Father in heaven. So that's a, a, one of the root verses for papal infallibility, and I know that's another big topic. But uh, that's why, oh boy, when I found that out and I started looking at that line of popes, you know, from Peter and then uh, Linus, Cletus, Clement, and all the way to John Paul II and Benedict, I was just i have that pope chart, you know, and I show that to my to our attendees at our study, and I say, here it is, here's the line, you know, just like Irenaeus or Leon said, you know, goes trace it all the way back. It's just wonderful.
0: Well, and we didn't have time to get into the the marriage part of this passage, mm-hmm, which right. is which is fine because we've done that in the past, but your your perspective is very, very important because if you if you go to that passage, y- you must go to that passage with this understanding of the authority of church and the unity of Christ in his body then the marriage makes sense. Mm-hmm. What happens more often than not, that people go to this passage in the opposite direction. They go with it from the perspectives of culture first, mm-hmm. and then they redefine marriage, and in the end, redefine the relationship between Christ and his church.
2: Well, one of the things that comes to mind, or, uh, we've mentioned several times, at least I have tonight, you know, we see this, this, we hear this word, catechism, catechesis, you know, catechist. Well, what does this mean? And the root word, the Greek word, is katechizo, beginning with a K, which means to echo back faithfully. And, of course, what do we echo back? We're supposed to echo back Jesus, right? He says in John seven sixteen, My teaching is not my own, but the one who sent me. Right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're echoing back Jesus, we're echoing back the Father, the Father who loves us, and has, again, as Jesus said in John 14:6, you cannot come to the Father but my, but my me. I just, it, it's just so wonderful, this faith that we have, Marcus. And, well,
0: and that echoing back makes sense of this passage, verse 21, where it says, Be subject to one another out of reverence right. for Christ. Our subjection to one another is an echoing back of our reverence for Christ, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Wives being submissive to husbands, husbands loving their wives, all of this is this echoing back of what we've received from Christ, and if we don't appreciate that unity between Christ and His church, we'll never appreciate the unity that is to be there in marriage.
2: Certainly, and uh, my wife gave me a nice little reminder of that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's a joy to see this, and to, to when uh, Mary Claire asked me the other day, and what would you, what, which verse would you pick, and, and that just kept coming back over and over again. I thought, my goodness. I tell the kids, the sophomores, you know, and and now in this adult faith study, uh, and I want to say hi all all who are listening out there. I appreciate you coming <laughs> out. and we got a whole new group coming next week, so it ought to be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, Kevin, thank you for joining us on tonight's program, and thank you for... I, I really do appreciate you picking this passage again because you've emphasized another side of this that, in the past, we've emphasized the, the marital side mm-hmm. and, and the relational side, but Really, this is the, the discussion that needs to come first, is the understanding of that relationship that we have by baptism in the church and then how much we owe our Lord Jesus, as you said, to, so that we can echo back that relationship into our other relationships. So thanks a lot, Kevin. Sure, it's a pleasure. And thank you all for joining us on this program. I, let me remind you again of those, the data, the deepinscripture.com website that you can go to to find out about the program. You can go to chnetwork.org to find out about our organization, or if you want to call for more information, you can call us at 740-450-1175, or you can send me an email at marcusatdeepinscripture.com, in which case I will uh, you know, do whatever I can to help you in your own journey. What I'd like to do is I close this program. We've been focusing on St. Paul, and I'd like to end the program with some wonderful words from St. Paul in his second letter to Thessalonians when he writes, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's our prayer for one another and also our desire to help one another as we seek to follow Christ faithfully as his members in his body. God bless you.